الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونستهديه ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شر انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا انه من يهدي الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلن تجد له وليا مرشدا واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله بلغ الرساله وادى الامانه ونصح الامه وكشف الغمه وتركنا على المحجة البيضاء اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا وحبيبنا وقدوتنا محمد بن عبد الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وتنظر نفس ما قدمت لغم واتقوا الله إن الله خبير بما تعملون In the name of Allah, the beneficent, the gracious, the merciful I bear witness that there is no deity worthy of worship, adoration, attention, bowing and prostration except Allah, the creator and sustainer of the heavens and the earth. And I bear witness that Prophet Muhammad وسلم, is a solemn messenger. Dear brothers, dear sisters, I begin with a note of gratitude and thanks to Allah جل, uh, for being back and, and you know with our beloved community here. When you're a bit removed, and I was away for a few weeks um, on a trip overseas, you really gain a deeper appreciation for the blessings that you have. And subhanAllah, I had to go to another continent to deeply appreciate what the far destinations hold and their impact on our faith and our tradition and our history, but also gain the deeper appreciation for this beloved community, for ICCP, for my beloved brothers and sisters that are sitting in front of me, I deeply miss you and I'm thankful to Allah for being back and subhanAllah for reigniting those beautiful connections and the brotherhood and the sisterhood that we have. May Allah bless all of you. May Allah grant you peace and tranquility in those blessings, blessed days. I also begin with a note of gratitude to Allah for making us live to breathe the air of today, this first day of the Hijjah. And then it's an amazing thing, it's a sacred time. A special, a special time that Allah has proclaimed to be special, to be sacred, to be a gift from Allah to all of us, few months after the month of Ramadan, because the hearts might have become rusty. And that faith that we felt in the month of Ramadan, and you know it, I know it, we know how we felt in the month of Ramadan. We felt closer to Allah. We felt closer to each other as a community. We grew closer to the masjid. And it was because of our communal worship and devotion. We made an effort as a community and every single Muslim community throughout this earth to make Allah the object of our attention. We carved time out of our schedules to spend that time with Allah. And we felt the fruits. And after the month of Ramadan, we become rusty again. And Allah, here he is giving us another extraordinary gift because Allah is generous. And even if we're not paying attention, and for those of us who have been negligent, Allah says, here is a gift. And imagine if Allah gives us gifts for those of us who are negligent, what will he give those who are not negligent? And these special days of the Hijjah, the first 10 days of the Hijjah are especially singled out, proclaimed by Allah in the Quran where he takes an oath by these days. These are the days of Allah. Where the Prophet tells us, and I know we've heard this, but we need to revive it in our hearts. So that we do not miss the opportunity. He says, there are no days like them. There are no days like them. And the deeds that we do, and the worship that we offer, and the charity that we offer, 
There is no time like these times to offer these deeds. And the deeds that are done outside of the, these 10 days are not the same as the deeds that are done in these 10 days. And the Prophet says, race. Race in magnifying Allah, race in your devotion, race in your charity, race in making time for Allah and His remembrance. Because the reward is not the same as the times that are outside of those 10 days. And my question to you, to you and myself today is, how do we really appreciate that need of ours? How do we really cultivate that sense of awe of Allah? We know about thoughts and lessons of life. We hear instruction from our teachers about Allah being important in our lives. We've heard the lesson that indeed our well-being, our wellness, our joy lies in the remembrance of Allah, lies in being with Allah. It's a thought. The question is, how do we make it a lively thought in our hearts? How do we actually experience it and feel it within our heart? It's one thing to speak of love. It's quite another to experience love. It's one thing to speak of the Kaaba. It's quite another to see the Kaaba. Isn't it true? It's one thing to experience brotherhood and sisterhood. And it's quite another to talk about it and lecture about it. When you experience something, you feel it in your heart. And it becomes ingrained. Passion develops for that thought. And it's no longer an abstraction, it's a real experienced thing in life. So Allah wants us in these days not to just speak of the blessings of these days and put together ornamented language around them. No, to experience, the, to experience them because we need them. To come to a revival, to feel an inspiration, to feel Allah in our lives. So the Prophet says, first and foremost, race in remembering Allah and magnifying Him. He says, utter the name of Allah. In Tahleed, say La ilaha illallah over and over and over and over. Say Allahu Akbar, Allah is greater over and over and over. Say Subhanallah and Alhamdulillah over and over and over. Ya Allah, why do we have to keep repeating this over and over? The tongue is a mirror of the heart. The tongue is a mirror of the heart. Whatever you mention here, you focus on, becomes mirrored and uttered in your heart. And whatever the heart utters will be reflected on the tongue. As it turns out, whatever you think about and pay attention to will be cultivated in your heart. So it demands an effort. And everything worthy in our lives demands an effort. Faith demands an effort. Family demands an effort. Sacred things demand an effort. Everything worthy is where you put your attention to. Are we putting our attention on the one these days? And this notion of effort is what I want to focus on today and journeying. It is not easy to make an effort. It is not easy to struggle. We all want ease in our lives. Yet you see that within those days that Allah has mandated for us to perform Hajj, a journey. The journey of Hajj is not done in any other time of the year. It is designed for this time of the year. It can only be done in the Hijjah. And this is it. And on the eighth day, on the eighth day next Friday, the Hujjaj, those of us, those you know, community members, those family members that we've seen leave already, and some are leaving this, week, this weekend, will be undertaking a journey back in time to a beautiful sacred site, a destination that Allah has just had us pray towards it right here. And we are praying towards the Kaaba. Why, Ya Allah, do we have to undertake a journey Letting go of our comforts, our families, our jobs, and everything that is, you know, that we're adapted to, that we've 
become familiar with, to take a journey with several million other people and undergo hardship, why Allah do I have to do this every single year? And indeed, millions take it every single year. It is not an easy journey. Hajj, for anybody who's been on Hajj, understands that it's a difficult journey where you don't feel even that you have a home. You're constantly moving from one place to another, living in tents, sleeping on the ground under the open sky, dressed for men in simple garments that get dusty and dirty in a few hours, being crowded with millions of people going from destination to destination, circumambulating the house, standing on the hill of Arafat, supplicating six days of rigor. Why? Because effort and journey is at the heart of experiencing faith. And as some, some a scholar said one time that attention is the beginning of devotion. It is easy to speak of loving Allah. It is easy to speak of loving even a field of science or a family member or a hobby. Until you actually pay attention to it, you're not going to be devoted to it. Whatever it is that we have paid attention to in our lives, is the thing that we're going to cultivate devotion to. The question today is, what have we devoted ourselves to? Allah says, take time out of your life. Go devote yourself for several days where there is no other object of worship for you except Allah. Here you are with your brothers and sisters from across this earth, and you're going to be transformed. Malcolm X preached faith, understood it as an abstract thought for decades. He lived it, but it was a different notion than the notion of faith. Where did he discover Islam? Where did he discover faith? Where did he discover the true brotherhood of humanity that inspired him? That he declared himself as a Muslim? It was in Hajj. It was in Hajj. He experienced that which we speak of abstractly. His heart was transformed. He was revived, brothers and sisters. And every single person who sees the Kaaba and sees the grave of the Prophet indeed feels as if they're living in a different world, in a different time, and their hearts come to life, and they come as transformed <clears throat> beings. Allah says it's not easy. That's a prescription. It's a journey. Mm -hmm. And whatever is worthwhile demands a journey. So the Prophet says, لا تشد إلا إلا He says journeying for the purpose of worship, for the purpose of praying, they should be especially dedicated to three places that will transform you. Two of which we know very well, the third of which we might have forgotten about. He says to my to the Masjid al-Haram, the Kaaba, that we're all familiar with. We all take the journeys of Umrah and Hajj to cleanse ourselves, to feel that faith, to come to life, to feel Allah in our lives, and we're familiar with it. He says, go to the Masjid al-Haram. And then he says, Masjidi Haba, the, the Masjid of the Prophet ﷺ in Medina. But what did he say is the third? He says, Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. For the longest time, I stood before you, brothers and sisters, speaking of Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa, speaking of the journey of Isra and Mi'raj, haven't we? How many times have we, speaking of, have we spoken about this? Abstractly. I, myself, am a Palestinian. I descend from the Holy Land. My family lived there. I never got to live there in my life. So it was always a thought. And it was a thing, a sacred destination that we're all familiar with, every single Muslim is in love with Al-Quds, Jerusalem. Every single person of faith, Jew and Christian and other faiths as well, somehow that sacred destination, that sacred site is really dear. Dear to people across this earth, and it's a real bastion of monotheism and faith. Has stood as such throughout history. 
And we know how sacred it is in Islam, and the Prophet ﷺ singled it out as the third holiest site in Islam, saying that if you want to take a journey for that revival, if you want to gain a reward greater than the reward of worshipping anywhere else, then these are the three destinations. And do not forget about the Masjid al-Aqsa. It is the Masjid about which the Prophet ﷺ said, when he was asked what is the first Masjid built on this earth, he said Al-Ka'bah. And then he, said, he was asked by the companions, O Prophet of Allah, what's the second masjid that was built on this earth? He said, Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. 40. It was built 40 after Al-Kaaba. And then they asked, what is 40? He said, 40 years. The interpretation is that it's probably 40 years. After Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa, and the historians mentioned that it's probably Prophet Ibrahim who built it first. It is a site so sacred that Allah has proclaimed in the Quran, Subhanalladi asra bi abdihi layla min al masjid al harami ila al masjid al aqsa ladi barakna hawla. Beginning of Surah Al Isra, where Allah says, You want to understand how sacred this is? You want to understand and appreciate it? Here he is swearing by it and saying, Glory to the one who transported his servant, Prophet Muhammad on a night journey from Mecca to this sacred site. The question for you and me today is why? This site is the site of the greatest journey that has ever taken place in human history. The journey of Prophet Muhammad at night from Mecca to Jerusalem, where he led, imagine, the only site on earth where all the prophets of Allah were gathered on that night. All of them. The Prophet arrives at that destination, ties up the horse, Al-Buraq, with Jibreel alayhi salam, and he would enter that site, that masjid, that sacred sanctuary, and he would find all the prophets of Allah waiting for him. Why is that? Because it is, it is special. The Prophet was chosen by Allah to go to that destination, not any other destination. The ascent to the heavens did not take place from Mecca. It had to take place from Jerusalem. The first Qibla. The Prophet and his companions would be praying towards that Qibla. As we're oriented now towards Mecca, he would be oriented towards Al-Quds for almost two years until the second year of Hijrah, where the command of Allah was given to change that direction to Al-Kaaba. It was significant, and there was a reason for this, that it is indeed the first Qibla of the Muslims. And it's the second masjid built on this earth. It is sacred, so Allah says in the Quran, Al-Ladi Barakna Hawla. He says, you have no idea what blessings this region this place has. He says we blessed its precincts. Every single thing around it is blessed. You know what blessings mean? Abundance, goodness. You feel something in your heart when you see it. All of this was a thought for me. All of this was taught for me. We state it as a virtue, but it's quite another to live it. So I myself, Allah, brothers and sisters, having taken multiple trips to Mecca and Medina, I said, isn't the time come for me? to at least heed the words of the Prophet says, take a journey. Sure, it's not easy, but take a journey, not only for myself and my family, but also for my children. How else would I be able to instruct my children about Jerusalem and about Mecca if I don't take them there? It's not cheap. It isn't easy. It's one thing to sit under the instruction of a teacher and listen and listen and listen as a child. And it was years, by Allah, where I spoke to my children about Jerusalem. Years. Years of speaking to them about this first Qibla. Years of speaking to them about ascending to the heaven, the Prophet ascending from Jerusalem. Years of showing them the pictures. Sure, they liked it, but it wasn't in their hearts. And I don't blame my children or any other child 
What did it demand? How else would I make up for this? It had to demand a journey. And this was the instruction of Prophet Muhammad I had to take a journey to take my own children to feel it and be immersed in it. And I swear to you, an hour there, when I finally took them, and I was blessed, alhamdulillah, all gratitude to Allah, because it was like a pilgrimage. When I took my own children, and I myself have never seen a masjid al in my entire life. It was a dream. It was a yearning, right? And I asked Allah to fulfill it. And Allah is generous. Not an easy journey to go there. But when you finally get to see the Dome of the Rock, the dome that Abdul Malik ibn Marwan initiated the construction of to be erected over the rock from which the Prophet ascended to the heaven. When you finally catch a glimpse of this and know that the Prophet ascended to the heaven from there, and finally go into Al Masjid Al Aqsa under that green dome, and understand that on this site over 100,000 Prophets of Allah were there gathered in a prayer behind Prophet Muhammad and you get to see your, show your children this and you get to show them the minbar and the mihrab that Salahuddin built is that a thought anymore? no it's real it is real when you see the noble sanctuary and I get to see these powerful beautiful minerals that have stood as witness to the life of Prophet Muhammad when he was there to that episode that night to the journeys of Ibrahim and Yaqub and Ishaq, right? To Dawood and Sulaiman who dwelled there. Would that be the same? Absolutely not. Hajj is about going back in time to reconnect with our roots. It's not just a ritual. It's a resuscitation. It's a connection of you and me with our history. How else will we have an identity? History is constantly being rewritten. And by the way, we have enormous challenges as parents. Our children are hearing narratives about their faith. They're hearing stories that we ourselves call others infidels. We don't. The word infidel itself was coined by Urban II in Europe. Muslims never use these terms. But when your child and my child hear these terms, and when they hear nasty things about their history and they have no roots in it, because they never heard it, they never experienced it. Well, many other faith communities pay millions of dollars to send their children overseas to the very sacred sites that we ourselves embrace as sacred. How are we expected to raise children that really are having a strong foundation in this life, have a deeply rooted identity? One day you and I are going to leave. Our children will be left behind. If they've lost their language, if they lost their historical roots, if they don't have that foundation, how else will they be able to pass it on to their children? And their children, and their children until the end of time. Do you know that faith is lost that way? There are communities in the Far East and in Africa that were once upon a time Muslim, but because few communities neglected passing this faith on, and because of other economic and political conditions, the entire town is no longer Muslim. Can you imagine this? So this is not a, just another trip or a journey that I decided to take by the blessings of Allah, I was permitted to do. It was really a deeply sacred journey that I asked Allah to be able to embark upon. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, the impact of it, spiritual impact of it on me was not like anything I've experienced in my entire life. My entire life. And I really would urge every one of you to undertake those journeys. Because this is the pilgrimage, the type of pilgrimage that the Prophet spoke about. This Quds, brothers and sisters, even the name, Jerusalem, Al-Quds, 
If you just look at the name of it, it means that which is holy, that which is sacred, Quds. It has Qudsiyah to it. It has holiness in it that is not felt anywhere else. That's why, that's why it was the Sodom of the messengers of Allah. Most prophets and biblical prophets were intertwined. Their lives were intertwined with the side. Do you think that was a random accident? <clears throat> Absolutely not. Allah has chosen for them to be there. This is a city that has stood the test of time for millennia, thousands of years. Archaeological work has shown that this city of Jerusalem has existed and was inhabited as far back as four or 5,000 BC. From the time of the Canaanites and the Philistines who first inhabited the coast of Palestine, who were actually cited or you know, uh, mentioned as the original ancestors of even contemporary Palestinians. They were there four or 5,000 years ago. Through the passage of time where, as I said, earlier prophet Ibrahim would inhabit that land. And his children, Ishaq, inhabited it. And Yaqub and Yusuf, السلام, until Yusuf migrated to Egypt. And he, it was him who was embarking upon that journey, bringing the Israelites to Palestine. To Palestine, back to Palestine. It's sacred, commissioned by Allah as such. And it was in the year 1000 BC that the prophet Dawood, David, built his kingdom there. And prophet Sulaiman, who erected the holy sanctuary that you and I can witness today. All that history from before even the time of Jesus, Isa salam. This site withstood and endured countless wars and conquests. Multiple earthquakes that destroyed and demolished it, including the Masjid al-Aqsa. Invasions and sieges from the time of the Babylonians <clears throat> in the 7th century BC who invaded and conquered Jerusalem and, and, and destroyed it. Destroyed it, tarnished it. And then later Alexander the Great would invade that city. Why was it the object of attention? The pride possession of the world, something sacred about it. That drew that attention because of its deep history, its sacredness. It's a bastion of faith for religions. So Alexander II in the 4th century BC would undertake a journey and conquer it as well and take it over. And not long after, the Persians would find a footing there and rule over Jerusalem, taking it over. And then the Romans, it gave way to a long rule of the Romans towards the 1st century, who ruled it for a very long time and it was not what we see today. And it was that time that witnessed the birth of Isa alayhi salam. Isa alayhi salam. And I got, subhanAllah, the blessing. I received the blessing of being able to you know, visit sacred Christian sites even in the Holy Land. Because indeed, the land of Palestine is holy to all the religions. And within the city of Nazareth, how many times I stood before you right now talking about Maryam alayhi salam. Maryam alayhi salam. How many times have we quoted the verses from Surah Maryam? Where she was under that tree giving birth to Isa, when we spoke about Jibreel alayhi salam coming to announce to Maryam alayhi salam that she's going to bear a child without a father and his name is going to be Isa. I spoke about it in theory and I finally got to see the signs. When you go to that church in Nazareth, the church of the Annunciation, we actually see the remains of the home of Maryam alayhi salam. And you look at it, brothers and sisters, and you see it preserved, and you see that, subhanAllah, Maryam lived here. 
Her family and parents lived here. And here is where Jibreel came to her to announce that. How will that not move you? How will that not be real anymore when your children get to see this? Suddenly, it's a real experience. It's vivid. It revives the heart and the soul. We have to go to the city of Nazareth and witness the Galilee area, valley where Isa lived and preached the worship of Allah. And then we would go south, south of Jerusalem, to another sacred site, the Church of the Nativity, where tradition, Christian tradition tells us that Isa was born. And we spoke of the story of how Maryam was by that tree, by herself lonely, broken, alone, no one there with her because she was terrified of the idea that somebody would see her bearing and giving birth to a child without a father. And here she is by herself. I spoke about it in theory and finally I get to see the site that is agreed upon as the site where she gave birth in a little tiny cold cave, subhanAllah, that is preserving that site where she gave birth to Isa You get to see that. How will you not be transformed and impacted? Where Isa grew up and then we go later into Jerusalem during the Roman rule and we start preaching and proclaiming the oneness of Allah And what would happen with the Roman emperor, the Roman ruler of Jerusalem at the time? He would be captured, they would capture Isa as a rebel, declare him a rebel, a false messiah, a false prophet. And they would try him and pass a death sentence on him. But we know our story that tells us the Prophet that the Prophet Isa was raised by Allah Raised by Allah, you get to see the site where there, you know, there are claims of his crucifixion. Although we do not, you know, uh, uh, um, believe that he was crucified, you get to see that sacred church, the the church of the Holy Sepulchre, that is house that is built upon the site where he was tortured or the claim to be tortured, according to the Christian tradition. You get to see that, in, in, you know live brothers and sisters and you get to see people performing that pilgrimage there it impacts you it really deeply impacts you but back to al-quds through the passage of time brothers and sisters here it is enduring and enduring and that's something you really feel in your heart when you see it countless wars battles conquests sieges to that city sieges to that city until the time of amr ibn al-khattab the time of amr ibn al-khattab in the year 637 637 after the death of Prophet Muhammad here he is expanding the empire, pushing armies into even the Levant, Syria. And, and they would conquer Syria, and Umar ibn al-Khattab would send an army to Jerusalem, understanding its significance, to liberate that land, to really free it up from the tyrant rule that it was under. And indeed, they would lay, lay siege to the city, but they would not enter it and conquer it. You know why? To save blood. So that there is no destruction to the city. So that human lives are saved. They will lay a siege. And the people inside, including the bishop of Jerusalem, Sophonius, understood that they could not even put up a fight. But that indeed the army outside was decided that they're not going to shed blood. That he himself understood this and he says, we, we surrender. But we'll, we will not give up this city nor open its doors until Umar ibn al-Khattab himself comes here and takes the keys from me. Takes the keys from me. The message was sent to Umar ibn al-Khattab and he was in Medina. And Umar ibn al-Khattab consulted with his council and Ali ibn Abi Talib told Umar ibn al-Khattab, he says, given the significance of the city, given how sacred it is, given that it's a bastion of faith for all religions, 
given that it has Jews and Christians in it and Muslims, it demands of you to go there and personally take the keys. And Umar ibn al-Khattab sat on, you know, rode his camel, brothers and sisters, with one servant, took the journey to Jerusalem from Medina. And he would arrive, and the bishop of Jerusalem would welcome him and greet him warmly. And would take him on a tour of the city, and would take him into the church of the Holy Sepulchre. And when Umar ibn al-Khattab was in the church, the time of prayer came. And the bishop of Jerusalem, Sophonius, offered Umar ibn al-Khattab, asked him to pray in the church of the Holy Sepulchre. And guess what Umar ibn al-Khattab said? I will not pray here. I will not pray here. And he went outside of the church and prayed. And the, the spot where he prayed, they built a masjid called Masjid Umar. We got to see it when we went to Jerusalem. Outside of the church. Why, ya Umar ibn al-Khattab? Why did you do this? He said, because if I prayed here, Muslims would come after me and say that Umar ibn al-Khattab prayed here and would convert the church into a masjid. And the church is sacred. And it has to be preserved. And he signed a pact, a peace treaty with the bishop and the people of Jerusalem that every holy site would be protected. Jewish, Christian, Muslim. The people would be free to worship. That they would be protected. And indeed, 500 years from that time, that city, the city, the Jerusalem of Umar ibn al-Khattab was not like any Jerusalem in history. Prospered, brothers and sisters. It became a, a hub of learning. Scholars flocked it from everywhere, Jewish, Christian, and Muslim. Trade was established there. Hospitals, schools were built. It was really a jewel in history. 500 years until the time of the Crusaders in 1099, when they decided to invade the city and, 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 and take it over. And indeed, when it was, the sites that you witnessed today were destroyed. And in fact, the Masjid al-Aqsa, and we got to see this ourselves, was converted into a place for pigs and horses. And in the side of the Masjid, we went underneath it, we saw the spots where carvings were placed there you know, as holes for the horses to be tied. We saw that ourselves. <laughs> SubhanAllah, the very minaret, and, excuse me, the very mihrab that, that was built in that Masjid was converted into a place for pigs. And when I stood there, I couldn't believe the pigs were here. Horses. It was a dumping ground for almost a hundred years until Salahuddin came. Salahuddin, brothers and sisters, the Sunni Muslim from the Kurdish, from the Kurdish heritage and, and ethnicity that, that really came to liberate that land. Who would conquer Syria first in 1187 and would send his mm -hmm. army finally in a major battle called the Battle of Hattin, where he would defeat the 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 the, the the crusaders, and take over the city again. And guess what happened? It was again a bloodless conquest. And unlike all the bloodshed and the destruction that happened during the time of the crusaders, where Jews, Jews were slaughtered, even Christians were slaughtered, Muslims were slaughtered, it would be a time of unprecedented peace and coexistence. And it would indeed become a bastion of faith once again, shining, shining and enduring. And throughout that time, brothers and sisters, until the later time, two centuries ago, it would send a search. What a beautiful place. What a powerful place. And I could not have articulated any of this if I didn't see it myself. And I understood only when I was in the Masjid al-Aqsa praying, even underneath the rock upon which the Prophet ascended to the heaven, why the Prophet said, take a journey there. Take a journey there, it will transform you. And as in a hadith, the Prophet said that indeed there shall come a time there shall come a time where if a person has a house or, 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 or an area 
as big as a, as a horse's rope, so tiny, from which he can live and see Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa, it will be better than anything else on earth. This is the word of Prophet Muhammad in a hadith in Ibn Najah. Beautiful. Why is that? Because it is indeed a sacred side of Islam. It is our first Qibla. It is the third of the holiest sites, and the Prophet understood it as such, and he said, go visit it. It'll transform you. Ask Allah to revive our path, to bless us in these sacred days, to make us among those who magnify him. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen wa salatu wa salam ala ashraf wa khalq wa sayyidu wa sayyidu wa sayyidu wa muhammad wa ala ayyidu wa sahbihi wa jayin Again, brothers and sisters, the talk today is about journeying and undertaking these journeys for the sake of learning about Allah and reviving our faith. It's not easy. Faith is sacred. Our sacred sites are sacred. And the demand and effort, how else will we and our children be connected and rooted in our tradition? How else will we have an identity to be able to offer and contribute to this earth? If we're not rooted in our tradition and history and understand it, all these figures that we speak about, I have this book in my home that I brought recently about Salahuddin, right? And I've been offering my children to read it before we took the trip, and everybody says, no, not interested. I'm like, Salahuddin, you understand? Like, no, not interested. Like, Salahuddin, you understand what Salahuddin is? I have no idea what you're talking about, right? Salahuddin. Right now, brothers and sisters, after this trip, my children are raising us to who's going to read it first. And I'll never forget when I stood there with my children and my wife in front of the mihrab. And alhamdulillah, in Jerusalem, in, in Masjid al-Aqsa, even women can go in anywhere. Alhamdulillah. They went all the way to the mihrab, and nobody would tell them to go back, right? And they stood there taking pictures and just taking it all in, seeing the mihrab that was built by Salahuddin. And on top of it, I looked... And I saw a beautiful inscription from several hundred years ago. And here's what it says. I'm going to read it to you. Because it, it, it moved me. It says, أمر بتجديد هذا المحراب المقدس وإمارة المسجد الأقصى الذي هو على التقوى عبد الله ووليه يوسف بن أيوب المضفر الملك الناصر صلاح الدين صلاح الدنيا والدين عندما فتح الله على يديه في شهور سنة ثلاثة ثلاث وثمانين وخمسمائة ويسأل الله إزاعه هذه النعمة وأجرا من المغفرة والرحمة Powerful inscription, written there from the time of Salahuddin, that says, commanded, commanding the construction of this mihrab, where the leader of the Salah stands, this blessed sacred mihrab, and the construction of this masjid, or rebuilding it upon taqwa, is the servant of Allah, and the victor, Yusuf ibn Ayyub al-Mudaffar, the victorious, the servant of the faithful Salahuddin, Salahuddinya, the, the, the salvation of this world and the hereafter, understanding that he is the source, a source of assistance for this faith, when Allah has permitted <clears throat> upon his hands in the year indicated to open this place and to bring it back to life and resurrect it and restore it and open it up to all faiths. No barbed wire, no separation walls, no oppression, no arrests, no killing. That was a special place, brothers and sisters. And imagine your children get to see this. I'm not the same person anymore, and I understand from now, it's Allah that He blesses me to be able to go over and over. And I ask Allah to bless all of us to undertake those journeys to Al-Kaaba, to the 
Masjid of the Prophet to Jerusalem to really understand and connect with our history. We ask Allah to grant us the ability to be grateful to Him in these sacred days and to magnify Him like we've never magnified Him and to make us among the righteous and to make us the best models for this faith and to make us a beautiful face for our faith and to make us among those who care for the for those who are neglected, for those who are left behind. We ask Allah to grant us His remembrance and we ask Allah to answer the supplications of the Hujjaj. Allahumma ameen. Allahumma ameen. Barakallahu feekum. Fee nawa feekum. Wa sallillahum ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.